The one, one in the original Star Wars is pretty phallic. I'm just saying, that terminal looked pretty satisfied after he was done. Radio Drome. Welcome to a very Star Trekking episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. Cecil and Peter are off this week, so the Saskatchewan screamer himself, Brandon Tenold, is joining me. Ooh, I get a nickname. I always try and do that. It never works, but I try. Okay, well, Saskatchewan screamer's not bad. Before we get into the topic, you guys, if you want to help out the show, go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. Sorry, Brandon, you can't participate. But you use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. And also, if you're going to be looking for a lot of the movies that we talk about tonight, you're going to need a VPN, a virtual private network. That's where NordVPN comes in. Go to 1201beyond.com backslash VPN. You'll get Nord service. They'll protect your data. They'll encode your data. And if you go through our link, it'll only be $3.49 a month for a three-year plan. That's 75% off of internet protection, internet encoding, and you can get around region locking. It's it's really valuable, actually. So that said, Brandon, you're a little younger than me. You obviously grew up with Star Wars the same as we all did. What was your favorite not Star Wars Star Wars movie? So you're just talking something that was clearly influenced by Star Wars. Wars, if or, or if not, just directly ripping it off. Well, probably the first like big movie that was clearly influenced by Star Wars that I saw was the 1980 Flash Gordon movie because you know back in the 90s when I was a kid they played that on TBS all the time, and that one's kind of ironic because Star Wars was influenced by the original Flash Gordon serials, and there's rumor has it that apparently George Lucas originally wanted to make a Flash Gordon movie. And then, you know, after after Star Wars was such a giant success, they thought, hey, we better make that Flash Gordon movie. Well, Flash Gordon is a very good pick. And you are right. He wanted to make Flash Gordon. They couldn't get out around the rights issues. So he made Star Wars instead as, and I'm quoting, my Flash Gordon. And you can totally see it. And I mean, in both Star Wars, you can see the Flash Gordon comic strip influence, but in Flash Gordon 1980 the star wars influence is all over that yeah it's all over it in the sort of the updated design of the they you mean they still have some of the sort of old timey like 1930s uh style a bit with ming and stuff like that but yeah they definitely have some ralph mccrory uh star wars influence in the design of things there and because see what happened was nobody expected star wars to be ahead and i, I figured we would do this episode now because the ruse of sky skywalker has finally put a cap on star wars at least for a while to the saga after star wars hit everybody was rushing to get something Star Wars. The influence of Star Wars could be felt everywhere, not just in Hollywood itself and how movies were made, but in how 
we were making movies. Do you remember, probably, you know, not at the time because you weren't even born yet, but I'm sure you saw that Richard Pryor sketch, Star Bar, from the Richard Pryor show? That came out almost right after Star Wars hit. They were able to actually use the Lucas costumes. So in that Star Bar segment, those are the actual cantina costumes used in the movie for Richard Pryor running Star Bar. Okay, here's a little aside. Uh, I just want to say this before I forget. This isn't a, this movie isn't a Star Wars knockoff, but it is noteworthy in that actual props from Star Wars are in it. It's this really low budget British, I guess sex comedy would be the genre called Spaced Out. I did a video on it for an episode of my show, but it's just basically a bunch of hot alien babes abduct this nerdy British guy and a few other people and then, you know, he tries to get laid and that's pretty much the whole movie. But you can see like some blaster rifles and some, you know, some Tuscan Raiders in the background, or I think one of the characters actually used one at a couple of points. Whoever made that movie must have raided uh, Shepard and Studios after they got done filming. You gotta remember back then, no one thought, remember this is the same era where we're still deleting Doctor Who episodes because no one's ever gonna want these again, right? Nobody, nobody thought they would ever need these things again. And when they made the movie, a sequel wasn't a guarantee, although we all know the splinter of the mind's eye story with the low budget sequel and all that. They just kind of rented these things out. They showed up elsewhere. That's why the, even the ones that showed up at the Smithsonian that were inducted into the Smithsonian Institute, go and look at them. They look like crap. It's amazing how they look on film and how in real life they look like a bad Halloween costume. Yeah, I'd love to know because in the, you know, the lag time between when they got finished shooting and when the movie actually came out and was a big hit, that would have been several months. So I'd be kind of interested to know like what, uh, how the props all got treated or what, uh, what paths they took or if they turned up in some other obscure movie shot in the UK that I don't know about. I think I remember reading a story. Maybe it wasn't from Star Wars. Maybe it was, it was either from Empire or Jedi, but I think Star Wars, the original model for the Millennium Falcon wound up on the roof of a bar as a piece of just, just an ornament on a bar because I, they just, they thought it looked cool and they sold it to them. I wonder, one, if that's still around, and two, like how much money whoever owns that bar could get for it now, if he still has it. It's also had 40-plus years of weather wear, too. Right, yeah. <laughs> Star Wars was everywhere. The influence was instantaneous. Like I said, watch watch that Richard Pryor segment of Star Bar. That came out like a month after Star Wars hit. And, you know, then there was the Star Wars holiday special as we're gearing up to Empire. You had all of these other things. Every network, every studio said, we need a Star Wars. We need our Star Wars. And none was more blatant, I think, than Disney with the black hole. Because remember, Disney was where Lucas took Star Wars first, and they passed. So they were like, no, we need a Star Wars now. We need to fix this mistake now. And while the stories in the black hole and Star Wars might not be similar, you can so see that this was meant to be Disney's Star Wars. Yeah, I think the biggest example of that is in the uh, the robots, the ones voiced by Roddy McDowell and uh, Slim Pickens, right? With those ones, they they kind of remind me of like Fisher-Price versions of R2-D2. Because the thing about R2-D2, he was cute, but it didn't look like he was specifically designed to be cute. He, he just kind of was. Whereas with the robots in the black hole, they have like the big eyes and the, you know, the nice round edges. Like these are designed to be like, Disney said like, we want some memorable cute robots that kids 
are going to love in this movie. And I think that's the that's the thing that stands out the most there. The the ending of the movie kind of has more to do with 2001. That's another <laughs> that's another thing. Oh, I would also say the humanoid robots are also very stormtrooperish, just red and stuff. Yeah, of yeah, that too. But Disney was so bitter about this whole thing. I can't remember what the exact number was, but Star Wars had X number of effect shots in it. They said, we want more. So they actually were bragging in the magazines, we have 100 more effect shots in the black hole than Star Wars had. Because apparently that's all Disney thought Star Wars was. It was just that effects stuff. Well, the budget for the black hole was gigantic, wasn't it? It was, like, substantially bigger than the first Star Wars movie. I think three times, maybe two and a half times what Star Wars cost a year earlier. The bitterness of Disney was very apparent. Well, they eventually got Star Wars, so I guess it sort of all worked out in the end. In a strange roundabout way. And we're not going to go chronologically here, but there was also the influence on Star Trek. Because, remember, Star Trek was getting ready to do Star Trek Phase 2, which was going to be a TV series that picked up after the original series. Then Star Wars came out, and it was, uh, we need to do a Star Trek Star Wars movie. I'm not sure the motion picture qualifies as that, because it's a motionless picture that does nothing, but you can see the influence of, with the effects and the way things look, you can see Star Wars' influence on the motion picture. Well... For that one, I think I think the influence there is just more how it got made rather than the actual movie. Because I'm sure that once once Star Wars broke records and became the biggest movie of all time, that made it almost a certainty that a Star Trek movie A could get made and B could have tons of money thrown at it. Like I'm sure the I'm sure Gene Roddenberry was able to get a much bigger budget for that than he would have if Star Wars hadn't come came out. But as far as the actual movie, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot slower and more ponderous and not nearly as action driven as Star Wars is. So I think maybe, like maybe they told them, oh yeah, 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 this is going to be a, a Star Trek Star Wars movie and then maybe show them a few scattered effect shots here and there to convince the studio heads. Yeah, the actual movie, as far as being like just a space opera adventure, doesn't really have a whole lot to do with Star Wars, I think. I'd argue, I'd argue a lot of the later Star Trek movies in terms of, like, in terms of the action adventure regard are closer to Star Wars than the motion picture is. What about something along the lines of Battlestar Galactica, the TV series? Now, I don't see it, and maybe this is why it got thrown out of court, but George Lucas thought Battlestar Galactica was such a ripoff of Star Wars, he sued them. He sued Universal over Battlestar Galactica plagiarizing Star Wars. Other than the style, which I think is a given considering the guys who made the special effects for Battlestar Galactica were most of his ILM team, so it's the same people. I I can see why this one got thrown out of court, but George Lucas says Battlestar Galactica is a Star Wars ripoff. Yeah, supposedly the idea for Battlestar Galactica actually predates Star Wars coming out. But that's another case where I'd say, you know, after Star Wars was a hit, that would probably convince the network to greenlight it and also give it what was at the time the biggest budget for any TV series ever, which again, they probably wouldn't have got if Star Wars hadn't made so much money. And also another influence for like that Star Wars may have had is that because they got the bigger budget, they were able to have more space battles than they probably normally would have if it had come out a little bit before. But but there's also the aspect that George Lucas was like, you ripped me off. 
and again, other than the style of the effects, I don't see how he could think Battlestar ripped him off. There's a few small things. Like, you could make some soup, like, you can make some connection between the Cylons and the Stormtroopers and Darth Vader and, uh, what's his name? Imperious Leader, or is that right? Imperious One, I think. Imperious One, yeah. Like, there's a few minor parallels there, but as far as kinds of Star Wars knockoffs that were getting made at the time, I don't think Battlestar Galactica is the biggest one. I would say, if you were going to talk plagiarism, have you ever seen Star Chaser, The Legend of Orin? No, that is one I actually did not even know about until fairly recently uh, I learned about it because of the internet. That one, it's an animated movie with, you know, traditional line animation. It's plagiarism. It has the scrappy rogue hero that wears a vest. You have the effeminate droid. You have the cute little droid. You have the princess who is highly capable and takes no crap from men. You have the farmer boy who has a... It's a lightsaber. He has a sword made of light with a special hilt. You have the big villain who is a black armored guy. It's Star Wars. And now, if George Lucas was going to sue anybody, you sue Star Chaser, man. Well, how much of a release did that get when it came out? Maybe you didn't know about it. (laughs) I saw it in the theater in 85. I was 10 years old. Okay, so it actually did get a decent theatrical release in the States back then. All right. Uh, But, I mean, again, if we're just going to stick with blatant plagiarism, kind of, are we going to talk about the man who saved the world? Well, that, yeah, that's that's a whole other type of plagiarism. Turkish plagiarism, which is why not just lift entire special effects scenes from the movie and superimpose a guy in front as if he's piloting the ships even though there's edits behind him the whole time and the wrong aspect ratio yep and plagiarize music even though it's not from star wars didn't they use the music from jaws in that at some point i don't remember jaws i just remember uh raiders of the lost ark and flash gordon being the two biggest ones maybe it's in there though it wouldn't surprise me if it was I remember it went in Jaws 5 when the Miami Vice theme started playing. I just threw my hands up and said, I give up. Yeah, that's one of those movies where I still haven't seen like a subtitled or dubbed version of that. I don't know what the actual plot of Turkish Star Wars or the man who saves the world is. Frankly, I don't really want to know what it is. I think I'm better off just trying to figure it out from it's, when it, it yeah, comes to, it's Junaid Arkin chopping off Muppet's arms and then he karate chops the guy in half by blacking out the film at the end. That's good enough for me. That's all I need to know. When it comes to the Turkish movies, I remember the first time I ever saw Three Dev Adam. Remember the Spider-Man Captain America Santo movie? Mm -hmm. It had no subtitles, and then once I finally saw it subtitled, I thought the plot I made up in my head was more interesting than the actual plot. See, and that's another one. I don't even, I don't even know what the plot of that movie is. What, what is it? Giant, big eyebrowed Spider-Man kills people with a switchblade. So that's it? He's just, he's a serial killer and Captain America and Santa are trying to catch him? Well, okay, if we're gonna consider Battlestar Galactica a Star Wars knockoff, does that make Space Mutiny one? Since it steals all the Battlestar Galactica footage? Yeah, I don't know if Space Mutiny would count as a Turkish style bit of plagiarism because I don't know if they actually cleared the Battlestar Galactica footage with that one. South Africa in the 80s, so maybe they did, maybe they didn't. It was also David A. Pryor, so probably not. Of a knockoffception where it's a knockoff of Battlestar Galactica and a knockoff of Turkish Star Wars in a roundabout way. Chest McLarge huge. Speaking of Red Brown, I definitely see in the second half of your Hunter from the Future, the Star Wars influence, where you got the Stormtroopers, you got the Darth Vader-type figure, you got the laser blasts. Am I crazy thinking the second half of your at least, is Star Wars influenced? That whole movie kind of has the feeling that 
it seems like it originally started out just being an Italian like barbarian movie, and then they kind of shoehorn that part in. But what- well, it started off as a four-hour miniseries in Italy that we saw edited down to ninety minutes, so it might have taken more natural time to actually get there in in Italy. Okay, because that was quite a because that was what eighty mid eighties three eighty three so a decent amount after the first Star Wars anyway so. And I'll never underestimate the Italians to, uh, to try and cash in on what's popular in America. So maybe they thought, oh, we'll do, we'll have a little bit of Conan, we'll have a little bit of Star Wars. A little bit of Road Warrior in yep. there. There's also some of the more goofy ones. Like, have you seen Star Odyssey? Now, okay, is that the one where I'm not, I, I can't remember this guy's name, but it's an Italian director. He made, I think, four or quite a few, like a bunch of these uh, movies in basically the same year and they're all kind of the same movie like they have the same costumes a lot of the same effect shots uh, a lot of the same actors they're just kind of rearranged slightly i think that's the one you're thinking of yeah yeah because i did one movie of his called war of the robots because the entire last 20 minutes is a space battle but they only have about half a dozen effect shots that they just keep repeating over and over again and then occasionally they'll have like one of the actors pretending to be in a cockpit saying, I can't shake him or something like that. And it goes on for over 20 minutes. The final space battle in A New Hope, 10 minutes. To our European listeners, they might not know Star Odyssey. They would know it as, and I swear this is the actual title, Metallica. Ooh. Th- that was the title in Europe, Metallica. You can find VHS covers of that online if you think I'm making that up. I remember Star Odyssey. This is the one where most people will remember it for these suicidal droid ducks. They have droids that are shaped like giant Donald Ducks who constantly want to die. That's their whole plot point. So there's suicidal robot ducks, anthropomorphized ducks in Star Odyssey. Brandon, that really happens. Well, that part alone sounds more entertaining than anything that went on in War of the Robots because good God, that was a piece of crap. Oh, and Star Odyssey, now, I don't know if this was just the original VHS release or if this was corrected for a DVD or something, but when I saw this movie, there are two scenes edited in the wrong order. Because there's a scene where the the villain who looks kind of like if Pinhead had all of his pins removed and he had sex with Darth Vader, where he buys our solar system. And then later is the scene where he's at the auction actually buying our solar system. Well, maybe that Italian director momentarily forgot which of those movies he was directing or editing. (laughs) That's a possibility. But then there's the one everyone craps on, but I don't care. Luigi Cozzi's Star Crash is one of the most glorious movies I've ever seen. I legitimately love Star Crash. The Star Wars influence, it's all over this one. Well, yeah, for sheer just goofy fun, I think Star Crash might be my favorite Star Wars cash-in. There's just so much crazy stuff going on in that movie. It it seems it's almost like if after seeing Star Wars you took a little kid and you said to him, "Hey, what if we let you make your own Star Wars movie?" He was like, "Yeah, I'm going to put in big robots with swords and there's going to be spaceships that shoot missiles, but there's guys in the missiles, so then they come out of the missiles and then they start attacking the spaceships and there's going to be Darth Vader, but he's this big, fat Italian-American guy for some reason. Like, that's that's the overall vibe I get with that. And just the way the plot moves, like, it's... 
Like it's the pacing's almost too quick. Like they just move from planet to planet and plot point to plot point so fast. Like uh, Caroline Monroe gets captured and forced to work in like some mine or whatever. And then what is it like two minutes later, she gets rescued. And she also changes her outfit almost every single scene with no explanation. And I'm not complaining. Don't think I'm complaining about that because I love her outfits in this. Wasn't one of her outfits so, okay, plagiaristic or homaging that you could, you said to yourself, I can totally see her playing Vampirella in a movie? Yeah, yeah, kind (laughs) of. But then there's also these weird, bizarre choices. Like, why do we make the giant robot, why do we give him the voice of an 1860s prospector? Not the voice, but the guy inside the suit was Caroline Monroe's husband at the time. I don't know how he got that gig. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he just wanted to be close to his wife while David Hasselhoff was around. I don't know. Yeah, we also have poofy-haired David Hasselhoff, pre-Night Rider. We have Christopher Plummer. He's both slumming it, and you can see he doesn't want to be there, but he's also giving 100% because... Because he's Christopher Plummer. Yeah, he's he's easily the most dignified thing in the movie, which is not to say the rest of the movie isn't fun, but are you trying dignified, to say, you, dignified is not one of the words I would use to describe Star Crash. Are you trying to say Joe Spinell is not glorious with his weirdly combed hair? He Doesn't he look like Alfalfa from the Little Rascals, but as a fat Darth Vader? Oh, yeah, yeah, he's glorious, but again, the of the words I would use to describe him, dignified probably wouldn't be at the top. No, but I still think Star Crash is a fantastic movie. And while it wasn't made by Roger Corman, he, he is the one who released it. But then he said, we got to get in on this, too. I genuinely love Battle Beyond the Stars. I think John Sayles' script is smarter than this movie deserves it to be because this is a blatant magnificent 7 ripoff of a samurai, of a 7 samurai ripoff of a Star Wars movie. I love every second of it. Yeah, and this is another case where it's a weird like just like the Flash Gordon movie, it's a case of something being influenced by Star Wars going back and also taking from something that influenced Star Wars. Because like you said, it's a remake of The Magnificent Seven, which was itself a remake of Seven Samurai. Plot-wise, Star Wars takes a lot from The Hidden Fortress, which is another Akira Kurosawa movie. Weird how things come full circle there. And Robert Vaughn kind of plays his own ancestor from The Magnificent Seven. It's sort of implied he's related to his Magnificent Seven character, kind of. Yeah, and that's another case where you can tell Robert Vaughn is also clearly slumming it. But if you are going to get, you know, a somewhat well-known actor uh, slumming it, might as well get one from the movie whose plot you're taking from. Well, Robert Vaughn had made like a dozen movies with Corman in the AIP days, so he was probably just one of Corman's regulars at that point. And uh, another thing going for this for Battle Beyond the Stars is that... Just like with Galaxy of Terror, James Cameron worked on this, and I think the budget was around $2 million or so, which is big for a Corman movie at that time, but not that big for a movie that's trying to be this big space epic. For the most part, for a low-budget Star Wars cash-in, a lot of the spaceship shots don't look that bad. There's there's a few sketchy ones, but some of them some of them actually look pretty good for the time. I actually think better than the spaceships, the spaceship interiors. They yep. they, they look yep. borderline realistic, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
Yeah, when uh, when Cameron worked for Corman, he was uh, he was very good at uh, squeezing a lot of production value out of not a whole lot of money. Well, that's because the spaceships were literally made out of garbage, literal garbage that they would find, like old vacuum cleaners and Big Mac containers glued to the walls and spray painted silver. They literally made those out of garbage, and they looked great. Yeah, because if you paint and light them properly, you can make garbage look good. I, I think there's a modeling joke in there somewhere. And also, uh, you know, before we move on, Bear is mentioning, just like uh, Caroline Monroe in Star Crash, Sybil Danning has a lot of very nice costumes in that movie. She has a lot of cleavage in that movie. Well, she always does. But then what about something like a satire? And I'm putting that word in quotes based on how little comedy is in the movie. Have you seen Galaxina? Yes, uh, it's a long, long time ago, so I don't really remember a whole lot. But yeah, I have seen that one. I I just watched it a couple of years ago. I like the production design. I think it looks great. It's lit beautifully. A few jokes actually work. And it is a satire of Star Wars with the very Darth Vader-y villain. I don't know. Galaxina's one that I think were to work better as a short film. There's way too much runtime for not enough humor. Now, again, I don't, I remember, I do remember that, uh, I didn't think it was that funny or that memorable when I saw it when I was, when I was a kid, but are any of the jokes as painful as the ones from another, another satire from around that time, Queen Kong? Cause, whoo, that one was bad. Every time Avery Shriver is on screen, it is painful to watch. But when some of the other actors are on screen, it's not. It has kind of clever jokes. Like when she goes to the planet and goes to the place called the Human Bar, and it's all aliens in there, and it's actually them cooking humans. I thought, okay, that was kind of funny. Or when they're in suspended animation for about 40 years, and they wake up, and the, the guy looks at his watch, he goes, what year do you got? I got I got 2187. I got 2186. This damn thing's slow again. I thought that was kind of funny, but that's the kind of humor you're getting in this movie. Well, both of those jokes are still better than anything in Queen Kong, so it's ahead of it so far, at least. Well, now, what about a movie that was, again, influenced by Star Wars, but not a Star Wars ripoff? I know you can talk about this movie, and I do dig this film, maybe for different reasons than you do, because I grew up watching this on cable. H.G. Wells, The Shape of Things to Come. I know you just like Jack Palance getting hit on the head with foam bricks. Well, come on, you gotta admit that is funny. It is, I'm not saying it isn't. I just remember, probably the biggest flaw of Shape of Things to Come, if I'm remembering right, it really takes itself super serious, almost to a detriment, doesn't it? Yeah, the only, the only bit of quote-unquote humor in that movie is the little robot. He makes a, he cracks a couple of jokes, but they're all really painful. But yeah, other than that, it takes itself completely seriously, even when Jack Palance puts like a giant water cooler on his head to control his robots. How much Star Wars influence do you think this one had in it? Because you know nobody was making H.G. Wells movies at this point. Then all of a sudden it was like, hey, these are public domain. Let's make Shape of Things to Come. Well, the biggest Star Wars influence on that one is the fact that it has absolutely nothing to do with H.G. Wells' The Shape of Things to Come other than the title. Because in the book... The book is basically almost like a, like just a history text of, uh, describing what was then gonna be World War II, cause the book was written before World War II happened. But there's another World War and then the rebuilding of civilization afterwards. I think it goes, uh, either like another century or another two centuries from when it was written, but it's just a history of, uh, what happens to humanity in that time, which, uh, as I'm sure you know, is 
not the plot of the movie The Shape of Things to Come, which is where Jack Palance tries to take over the universe with an army of clumsily walking robots. And this is one that I've recently watched, but I, I remember they land on another planet which looks like some prairie in Canada somewhere and they fight some robots in a field. And then there's, there's also again another sort of 2001 part where they pass through a nebula but that's an excuse to you know show a bunch of psychedelic colors and play with the camera speed and the wide angle lenses and stuff like that and again that has that has absolutely nothing to do with the plot they go through it things get trippy for a couple minutes they come out of it and that's it one thing they didn't take from star wars is the space battles because there are spaceships they do fly through space but at one point the heroes are in their ship and they see one of jack palance's ships and they go, we should do something. We don't have any weapons, so we can't. Okay, and that's it. They just, and then they land on the planet and fight some robots with sticks. Speaking of Jack Palance, this is a genre-jumping movie where it's still a blatant Star Wars ripoff. Have you ever seen Hawk the Slayer? I've only seen the Riff Tracks version of that, and to me... Ex- I was going to say it seems like a Conan ripoff, but I think that came out before Conan. Yeah, didn't it? it came out a year before Conan. It's, but the story is, is Star Wars. It, it's Star Wars' story just in a fantasy setting. Okay, so you're talking about like the simple farm kid realizes he has a greater destiny and goes on a quest, stops the evil villain, meets a meets a uh, brash roguish roguish hero, rescues a princess, that that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, and then Jack Palance is the villain, all dressed in black. He has I, I don't think it's a laser sword, but there's like laser effects that come from his sword, and then he gets oh, his weird sidekicks. He's got the the giant one that you know only speaks and growls. It's it's Star Wars, but in a Conan type world. Okay, I was gonna. Uh, now that you mentioned, I do remember the uh, the Chewbacca. That yeah, that was definitely a Star Wars influence for sure. But even if we're gonna go with that, did you ever grow up watching Thundar the Barbarian? Nope, that one uh, I've heard of it, but that one was a little bit before my time. In the year 1994, remember this is made in 1980. In the year 1994, a comet passes between the Earth and the Moon, causing untold chaos. It actually splits the Moon in half and strips Earth's atmosphere off of it. Two thousand years later, there's barbarians and and zombies and and all this stuff. And Thundar has a a lightsaber, although it's called a sun sword, and one of his partners is a giant furry guy who can only speak in rah, 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 rahs, and you go, oh yeah, the, the Star Wars influence is all over this. Why wouldn't they set the future in uh, 1999? I thought all 70s and 80s sci-fi movies, the future was either 99 or the year 2000. This decided 1994 for some reason. Debut of Friends must have had some pretty devastating consequences in that universe. But there's two interesting things, Thundar the Barbarian, that have nothing to do with what we're talking about. But, and you gotta remember, this was made in 1980. So, well, by this season, it might have been 1982, by, by season three. They're going through the ruins of, you know, 1994, and they go past a movie theater that is showing Jaws 9 and Revenge of the Jedi. Oh. So you know that was animated at a very specific point in history that that was animated. Now if they went with if they went with Jaws 9, I'm surprised they didn't go with like a fake Star Wars title. The writers were actually so clever at one point because they travel all over the world in the show. They go to London and there's a group of werewolves there and the leader of the werewolves is named Zevon. 
Yeah, I've heard, even though I've never seen it, like whenever they come up with lists of like underrated cartoons or best 80s cartoons, I'll usually see that on there. And some people will say like, even, you know, even though it has a reputation for being a Star Wars knockoff, the show's a lot more clever than people initially gave it credit for. Yeah, because you had good writers like Buzz Dixon and Steve Gerber on the show. I mean, hell, Jack Kirby was the production designer for the for the character designs. Oh, really? Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, you should go seek this out. It's only 21 half-hour episodes. You'll love it with all the post-apocalyptic stuff and the strange space stuff. You'll absolutely love it. But then there's also stuff like, again, it's just an influence, but can you tell me that Canon's Masters of the Universe was not heavily influenced by Star Wars? Well, didn't one of their press releases say that it was going to be like either Star Wars for the 80s or the next Star Wars or something hyperbolic like that? I remember something along those lines. But, I mean, you can see it in the costume design, the Eternia segments. You can see the influence of Star Wars all over Mochu. See, and that's a movie where I kind of wish they had a little more Star Wars influence as opposed to Beastmaster 2, let's just shoot everything in real locations to save money. Are you saying Courtney Cox whining over her dead parents for 90 minutes was not interesting in a He-Man movie? Even though it was still sort of before my time, I do remember He-Man a little bit. I had a few of the toys. I watched some of the reruns. And at no point watching the cartoon did I ever say, man, I really wish this all of this took place on Earth. Enough of this uh, Enough of this uh, fantasy Eternia stuff. Well, I'm not a James Bond fan. I don't know if you are. Moonraker is absolutely a Star Wars influence because that was not meant to be the next movie. They announced at the end of one of the, the movie before it, I don't remember, if, I'm not a big James Bond guy, they announced what the next movie would be, which would actually be the movie after Moonraker because after Star Wars came out, they're like, we got to cash in on this and we got to do it now. So Moonraker was just shit out. I'm not a huge James Bond guy, but I've, I've seen a lot of the movies. And this is another case where it's just like with H.G. Wells' The Shape of Things to Come, because even though it technically based off one of the original James Bond books, other than the title, it has absolutely nothing to do with it. Because I think in Moonraker, the book, the reason it's called that is because um, it has something to do with he's, like, thwarting scientists who are trying to update, like, V2 rockets, you know, try and either hold people, like, hold some governments hostage. But it has, there's no space station, there's no, there's no stuff like that in the book. And then in the movie, Bond spends a lot of time floating around in outer space. And there's lots of, uh, I haven't seen it in a while, but I think there's, I think there's, you know, guys with lasers and stuff like that in it. So yeah, that part was definitely influenced by Star Wars. They, they probably looked through all the old Ian Fleming books and just went like, Moonraker, that's something space, space connected. We can use that. How about something, this one might be a stretch, Strange Brew. Bob and Doug McKenzie. Those costumes are very Stormtrooper-ish to the point where they make jokes about how they're in Star Wars. And they, I think at one point they do fake lightsabers with the whoosh, whoosh sounds. Well, that's just that's just a case of some Canadian guys goofing off and having fun referencing stuff they like. I mean, the movie, at the end of the movie, they put a cape on the dog and it starts flying for no reason. But hey, Yosemite Sam is their dad, so that's interesting. Yeah, exactly. Like that's just that's just some you know SCTV SCTV guys. Have well, goof. there was also 
So the adult industry got in on this with both Star Virgin and Star Babe. They're very Star Wars influenced to the point where one of them, I can't remember which one it is, uh, I actually have them confused in my head. R2-D2 has a dildo on him and he gets it on with a chick. Well, he has dildo on him in the real Star Wars. Have you seen him, you know, trying to hack into the Death Star terminal? No, but I'm talking an actual phallic dildo. The one, one in the original Star Wars is pretty phallic. I'm just saying, that terminal looked pretty satisfied after he was done. Star Babe and Star... Star Virgin. Virgin. So out of all the porno spoofs of Star Wars, of all the titles you could have picked, none of them thought Star Whores. It's, it's right there. No, that took, that took Kevin Smith. Yeah, it took until what, 2000 whatever for somebody to finally do that? I guess Star Babe rolls off the tongue, no pun intended, better. That's like that's like making a Game of Thrones porn parody and calling it Game of Sex. No, Game of Bones. It's right there. Hey, I actually sat down and watched Video Bone, and that was disappointing as hell. I just, the title, I thought, okay, oh, it's really got not, not much to do with Videodrome, does it? Well, at least they got the title right. Hey, did you know that there are not one but two Max Headroom pornos? <laughs> no, I did not. There's Max Bedroom and Maxine, both made by different people, and they're both glorious if you like Max Headroom. I'm a Max Headroom nut. I literally have a Max Headroom poster from his Cinemax show sitting framed on my wall. Yes, I've seen both Maxine and Max Bedroom. Suck my dick, whore. Actually, the chick is the Max Headroom cipher in both of them. By the way, I, even though this would probably piss a lot of people who rented it from the adult section of the video store off, it would be hilarious if just before they're about to have sex, it fades out and then you see a title saying 20 minutes into the future and it's just them cuddling. <laughs> Smoking cigarettes? Yeah. I, I don't think these were this that clever, though. Back to Star Wars. How about the one... Now, this one's a little more in the satire category. Have you seen Hyperspace, a.k.a. Gremloids, the British version, the British Star Wars knockoff, the one with Chris Elliott? The Darth Vader parody is actually running for Congress in, or Congress or, or Parliament or whatever the weirdo Brits have. He's running for government office. No, I haven't. I've seen Inseminoid, which is the British alien knockoff, so the Brits really like movies ending in oid. Well, this, or it could be Hyperspace. In America, it was released as Hyperspace. It's a super low-budget Star Wars knockoff, and the villain is Lord Buckethead. Well, Lord Buckethead actually ran for Parliament in the last election. I'm, I wish I were making this up, Brandon. Okay, so he's Britain's version of uh, Vermin Supreme. Vermin Supreme is the, the guy who wears a boot on his head. He runs for president as a joke pretty much every year, or every time there's an election okay how about did you ever set sit through you said that that war of the robots was hard to sit through have you seen mm -hmm. the japanese message from space the japanese star wars have you seen that one? Oh, message from space is way better than war of the robots like in terms of like just at least at least there's things happening in that movie Oh my, it took me so long to get through Message from Space. I just was, I kept saying at the screen, do something! Well, they have, it's, I mean, the plot is, it's almost like too convoluted for its own good. Like, people send out nuts into space to summon people to save this, to save this other planet, and then there's a whole bunch of other subplots. Like, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of weird, weird stuff going on in that movie. Vic Morrow, 
playing an alcoholic. Ha, well, that, and, that was a stretch. And, uh, yeah, you know, you, you saw where I'm going with this. And he has a, his own little cute slash sassy robot. When you watch that movie, am I the only one that thinks he looks absolutely miserable that he's having to read this dialogue? Well, I mean, I'm a guy that's seen Vic Morrow looking miserable on more than one occasion. I mean, I did do The Last Shark on my show. See, I always knew that as Great White. It's the same movie, but I always knew that as Great White, because that's what it was almost released as here before Universal blocked it. Yeah, I just called it The Last Shark, because that was the title on the bootleg copy I got. Well, then there is, again, this is a Star Wars influence. Anyone from my generation, we grew up watching Jason of Star Command, live-action filmation stuff. Okay, no matter what you think of filmation, you know, of the cheap animation or anything, they're live-action stuff like Ghostbusters, Isis, Arc 2, Space Academy, Jason of Star Command. You gotta remember, these were made for children, so yes, they're not sophisticated. They have a charm to them. I can't even describe if you didn't grow up in that era. And Jason of Star Command is Craig Littler as Han Solo battling Sid Haig as Dragos. I, I mean, Ming the Merciless. I mean, Darth Vader. See, and that would be another one that was going to be before my time. The A lot of the Star Wars guys, the special effects guys, did the effects for Jason of Star Command. At the time, it was the most expensive kids show ever at $125,000 an episode in 1978. That's a lot of money for a freaking Saturday morning kids show. Oh, so it was the uh, the kids' version of uh, Battlestar Galactica then, budget-wise. Actually, it predated Battlestar by a year, too. But I, I really recommend Jason of Star Command. It's just so much fun. And come on, Sid Haig as the evil villain? How can you get better than that? Okay, before before we move on, like you mentioned Message from Space, there's also another Japanese-produced Star Wars knockoff. And this one actually came out a little bit before. Oh, was this the one with Chewbacca with horns? Yep. Yeah, it's called The War in Space, and this one came out in 1977, so the same year as Star Wars, and actually, Toho rushed this into production. I think the production on this movie was only two months or something like that, which is not very long, so they could rush it out before Star Wars was released in Japan. Plot-wise, it doesn't really have a whole lot to do with it. It's actually Toho kind of ripping themselves off because the plot is basically a combination of two older movies of theirs. Uh, one is called Atragon. And another is called, the other one is called, uh, I think Battle in Outer Space. They just basically took the plots of those two movies and globbed them together. But it's another movie where the, the main good guy ship is a flying submarine with a drill on its nose, just like in Atron or a lot of other Japanese sci-fi movies. And the bad guy ship, essentially like a Roman, like long ship with sails and oars. And the oars shoot lasers because of course they do. And the, the main like influence is that the villain has a henchman or monster or whatever who is basically Chewbacca, except he has these two giant yellow horns on his head. And he also has an axe that absorbs laser blasts. So, of course, when the heroes first face him, they only shoot his axe and not him. This part is hilarious. Like, it, the monster isn't even moving the axe, like, in front of him to block the lasers. Like, he'll raise it up to... S- to swing the axe, and the hero will actually, like, raise his gun up to keep shooting at the axe and not him. Well, it's kind of like in Wonder Woman, the, the the trench scene. They just keep shooting at her shield. Uh, guys, kneecap her ass, and you win. 
villains don't have good well this is even this is even more this is even more blatant this is this would be like if she lifted the shield above her head and they kept shooting it maybe it's just got a target on her magnets i don't know well how about some of the other english-speaking countries all decided to get in on this canada i guess couldn't just leave this alone remember starship invasions with robert vaughn helen shaver and christopher lee canada was like nope we are not done ripping off star wars and that is another one where I have only ever seen the Rift Tracks version of it. That's That one's almost worth it just to see a guy like Christopher Lee wearing basically like a black version of Whoopi Goldberg's hat from Star Trek The Next Generation. You gotta love Christopher Lee. That guy can keep his dignity no matter what he's wearing. That's why he was Christopher Goddamn Lee. The Australians said, hey, we can do this too. So Roger Christian, this is sort of a spawn because Rod- Roger Christian actually worked on Star Wars. So Roger Christian said, hey, I can make one of these too. So he went to Australia and made one. In America, we got it as Starship, but its international title was Lorca and the Outlaws. Did you ever see that under either title? No, that's another one I'm not familiar with. Although uh, I'm, I was going to make a joke how uh, if this movie didn't do very well, Roger Christian said, like, well, I'll try again and call it Battlefield Earth. He He would just tilt the camera and let John Travolta just come all over everything? Yeah. That's what Battlefield Earth is to me. I'm Christ, the, the main character is named Johnny Goodboy Tyler. Uh, that's That's one of those movies where I would love to know just how much, like, Roger Christian, like, how much input he actually had and how much he had to defer to Travolta. Did you ever read the books? Do, do you know what that, that, that purple gas that they breathe is actually called? No. I swear to God, in the book, it's called Breathe Gas. Wow. I can see why uh, L. Ron Hubbard was able to inspire such loyal followers. Hey, I can't, re- I can't remember, Brandon, I can't remember what the story was, but there was an L. Ron Hubbard story he wrote where he basically had a guy... F- the lesbianism out of two lesbians that 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 happens was the what was the hero's name johnny goodcock I, I i can't remember dude i read so much sci-fi 50s and 60s and sci-fi when i was times the plot sort of mushed together in my brain but it was an l ron hubbard story and there was two lesbians and they got screwed into being straight because a real man finally showed them what men are worth hey why pray the gay away when there's a much more fun option all I can think of is Banky Edwards from Chasing Amy now. She just craves it. <laughs> maybe that was the, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe that was the hero's name from, uh, from that Banky L. Ron Hubbard story. So with, with the ruse of Skywalker killing the Star Wars saga for at least the foreseeable future, do you think that the Star Wars knockoffs in a way served a real purpose in cinema or were they just the Mad Max's aliens and Conan's ripoffs or do you think they actually furthered something in cinema all the non-Star Wars Star Wars movies if we're talking about uh indirect impacts they furthered a lot of people's careers for sure I mentioned James Cameron getting his I mean this wasn't the only movie of course but it was one of the most important movies that he cut his teeth on coming up they're valuable in that they're still you know even even the cheesy ones still have their entertainment value and there's also it's a good opportunity to see people that we like whether it's Christopher Lee or Caroline Monroe or or whoever uh, having fun in a a weird sci-fi movie. I don't know if that counts as uh, serving a purpose, but there's worse reasons for movies hey, to exist. I, I found out a couple of years ago that there's a Stella Star action figure that you can get. It, it, it's oh it's yeah, expensive. yeah. Somebody 
they didn't send me they didn't send me like the figure, but somebody sent me a uh, pics of that uh, a little it while ago. It looks great. I, I, I'm sorry, the I don't remember, even remember the Italian chick that played the same character in Escape from Galaxy Three. She's got nothing on Caroline Monroe. Yeah, I uh, I'm inclined to well, agree with you. Speaking of that, what about Escape from Galaxy Three? Since that's a in quotes sequel to Star Crash, if Star Crash is a Star Wars knockoff, does that make Escape from Galaxy Three a Star Wars knockoff? Well, it's only it's only a sequel to Star Crash in that it uses effect shots from Star Crash, so I guess you could call it Turkish well, Star Crash. It, I, I think the character Sorta. is supposed to be the same character. I think it's still named Stella Star. Well, no, it's Bell Star in Escape from Galaxy Three. So I don't know if that's a relative it's or connected, what. Connected is my point. Does that make Escape from Galaxy Three a Star yeah. Wars knockoff or not? I don't know. I still I still uh, think calling it Turkish Star Crash is the most accurate description in my book, anyway. Well, I think it would be the same logic of how Base Mutiny would technically be one because yeah. of Battlestar Galactica shots. Yeah, exactly. What are your final thoughts then on the the Star Wars knockoffs? Because remember, after a while, they just sort of stopped. I don't mean just like the way the Italian industry just imploded in the early 90s when the tax credit went away. Why do you think they just stopped? Because there's hardly any in the 1990s. Well, I think for the the same reason any sort of these like uh these knockoff movies eventually die out because there's for a while there was, you know, Jaws knockoffs and in the sort of mid 70s there was a lot of Exorcist knockoffs. So by the 90s because this is, you know, before the Star Wars sort of had a re like a a renaissance in popularity when the special editions came out and there was the buzz about the prequels. In the early to mid 90s that was a bit of a kind of a low point for Star Wars popularity wise. So, you know, people would just move on to like I remember after Jurassic Park came out, I'm just old enough to remember that after Jurassic Park there were some Jurassic Park cash-ins. That would have been sort of my first first exposure to movies that are trying to cash in on something popular like Carnosaur, Prehistoria or stuff like that. Hey, hey, Tenold, I will say it right here and I mean it. Carnosaur is better than any Jurassic Park movie and I mean that 100%. In fact, I love Carnosaur 2 more than the first Carnosaur. I was just going to say, I actually like the sequel better, even if that one is actually a knockoff of Aliens. Aliens. Yeah, yeah, that's actually Aliens, but come on, it's got John Savage. Yeah, for for just like enjoyment, I I think the second one's probably my favorite. And you don't need to see the first one at all. They, they what, mentioned the first movie with one line, that's it. Well, the Carnosaur movies aren't really sequels to one another, but that, yeah. you know, that's a franchise we should do at some point because as much as i do not like carnosaur 3 or carnosaur 4 or the weird spin-off that they do i really dig the first two you mean uh was it raptor i think was the yeah spin-off yeah, yeah. raptor because they didn't want to call it carnosaur 5 so it's a spin-off of the carnosaur series oh shut up roger but uh, <laughs> i i grew i see i grew up i'm older than you i grew up watching all of these star wars knockoffs and cash-ins when they first happened i remember star wars mania in the late 70s and early 80s when mark hamill would show up on the muppet show and be running around like remember alderaan remember alderaan and this stuff i remember when star Star Wars Mania was at its peak. And as much as the the prequels and the Abrams trilogy tried, you just can't recreate that, man. It's the same way I really thought when Force Awakens came out that we were going to see another slew of the Star Wars knockoffs, you know, with the Asylum and that. No one really cared at that point, did they? Well, I think it's just the case of entertainment now is so compartmentalized because 
you know, back in the late seventies and early eighties, if something was as big as Star Wars, then you saw them on the most popular network TV shows. There were, there was a Star Wars disco album. Like it just sort of permeated everything that people were consuming. Whereas now everything's sort of more chopped up and divided. So I don't, I don't know if it's possible for anything to be, for any sort of cultural phenomena to be that all encompassing anymore, just with the way entertainment is now. And also it seems, in general, as far as like just knockoffs go, the, I mean, the most blatant ones are obviously the asylum. Like I'm sure I haven't checked, but I'm sure they've got something either out or coming out going to cash in on rise of, uh, rise of Skywalker. But as far as other stuff, like you said, the, a lot of the, uh, Italian sci-fi horror industry imploded in the nineties. So we don't really have that anymore, but who knows? Maybe like, uh, maybe overseas somewhere, like maybe in, in China or Korea or Turkey or somewhere, somebody's cooking up something that we just don't know about yet. I would love to see a Chinese funded Star War Rise of Skywalker Star Wars knockoff cuz I, I mean they kind of did with that The Wandering Earth which was the most expensive movie in Chinese history but that's really just more space and it's more of a disaster movie than anything I mean just a straight we're making Star Wars Chinese movie I would love to see that Well apparently they're making their own version of Ultraman and the actual rights holders of Ultraman are not too happy about it at least it's not like your channel, which I think should just change its name to Footage Flagged by Toho. Yep, true that. So on that note, where can people find you at your channel, Mostly Flagged by Toho? It's just The channel is just Brandon Tennell, so just search my name. I should come right up. You can also follow me on Twitter at Brandon Tennelled or on Facebook at Official Brandon Tennelled. You can find me at 1201beyond. You can contact this show at 1201beyond.com. Guys, may the force be with you unless it's owned by Disney, then they can kiss my ass. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.